الحمد لله الحمد لله خالق النجوم من العدم وجاعل النور من الظلم ومقيم الصبر من الألم وملك التوبة على الندم فنشكره على المصائب كما نشكره على النعم ونصلي على رسوله الأكرم بالشرف الأشم والنور الأتم والكتاب المحكم وكمال النبيين والخاتم سيدي ولدي آدم الذي بشر به عيسى المبيم ودعا لبعثته إبراهيم عليه السلام حين كان يقطع قواعد بيت الله المحرم فصلى الله عليه وسلم وعلى أتباعه خير الأمم الذين بارك الله بهم كافة الناس العرب منهم العجم الحمد لله الذي لم يتخذ ولدا ولم يكن له شريك في الملك ولم يكن له ولي من الذل وكذلك تكبيرا والحمد لله الذي أنزل على عبده الكتاب ولم يجعل له عوجا والحمد لله الذي نحمده ونستعينه ونستغفره ونؤمن به ونتوكل عليه ونعوذ بالله من شرور أنفسنا ومن سيئات أعمالنا من يهده الله فلا مضل له ومن يضلل فلا هادي له ونشهد أن لا إله إلا الله وحده لا شريك له ونشهد أن محمدا عبد الله ورسوله وصله الله تعالى بالهدى ودين الحق ليظهره على الدين كله وكفى بالله شهيدا فصلى الله عليه وسلم تسليما كثيرا كثيرا أما بعد فإن أصدق الحديث كتاب الله وخير الهدي هدي محمد صلى الله عليه وسلم وإن شر الأمور محدثاتها وإن كل محدثة بدعة وكل بدعة ضلالة وكل ضلالة في النار قال الله عز وجل في كتابه الكريم بعد أن يقول أعوذ بالله من الشيطان الرجيم ومن آياته أن خلق لكم من أنفسكم أزواجا لتسكنوا إليها وجعل بينكم مودة ورحمة إن في ذلك لآيات لقوم يتفكرون ومن آياته خلق السماوات والأرض واختلاف ألسنتكم وألوانكم إن في ذلك لآيات للعالمين ومن آياته منامكم بالليل والنهار وابتغاؤكم من فضله إن في ذلك لآيات لقوم يسمعون ونشح في صدري ويسر لي أمري وأحلل نقطة من لساني يفقه قولي اللهم ثبتنا عند الموت بلا إله إلا الله اللهم اجعلنا من الذين آمنوا وعملوا الصالحات وتواصل الحق وتواصل الصدر أمين رب العالمين Surah Tawbrum is a very unique surah of the Qur'an in it Allah talks in one place about many of his signs that he wants all of his creations to ponder and to, for us to think about the world around us in a way that brings us closer to him or to make us realize some things we didn't realize before. So what I read to you in the Arabic portion of the khutbah are some of them, not all of them. Uh, and it's important to note that before he mentions all of them, he started that praise and gratitude belong to Allah in the skies and on the earth and in the evening and in the times that you spend in the afternoons. The point being that everything you're about to learn, every single thing that Allah says is a reason, another reason for you to say Alhamdulillah. So every one of his ayat, when you ponder on it, every one of his signs, when you think about them, then it should lead you to a conclusion that you and I should be grateful to Allah, and we should, we should be thankful to Allah, and praise Allah for what He's done. So this is actually the, the mindset with which the rest of the passage is read. That was important to say. The next thing that's important to say is just something about the word signs or ayat. I've given a lot of different lectures about the meaning of the word ayat, but for the purposes of khutbah, and I know uh, a lot of kids are listening also, so I want to make this as simple as possible. Today I just want you to think about three things uh, that an ayah means. The word ayah, when we say the signs of Allah or the ayat of Allah, what does that mean? It, it carries inside three things. 
It means, number one, something valuable from the Arabic point of view, something very valuable, something that has a purpose. That's the second thing. And the third thing is something that points you back to Allah. Meaning it's a reminder of Allah Himself. Right? So if Allah says, for example, that the skies and the earth have ayat in them, well, every mountain reminds you of the maker of that mountain and the beauty with which He made it. Or the beautiful night sky. So it, it has a, the mountain has a purpose. Go back to three things again. It has a purpose, it's valuable, and it takes you back to Allah. Three things. So you keep those three things in mind whenever you read about an ayah of the Quran. Now there's more. But again, for the purposes of khutbah, at least hold on to those three. So I'll repeat them again so they get drilled in your head a little bit. The first of them is that it has, it has value. The second is that it has purpose. And the third is that it points you back to Allah. So it makes you grateful for Allah. And that's where we started, right? Now, having said that, humanity, when Allah brought us on this earth, He made it so that we will live, we will have to live together. And the first human beings that have to live together are the husband and the wife. Because all of humanity starts with a man and a woman. And that's how Allah started the story of humanity with Adam and our mother. Right? So when he's, he, here he says, among his miraculous signs are that he made you from your own, he made spouses from within you. He created spouses from your own selves so that you can find peace when you head towards them and you put love and care in, in your hearts and between you. And then he says, In all of that, there is the ayat, in all of that, there are many miraculous signs, many ayat for people who think deeply. Again, let's go back to ayat. So Allah says, Think about marriage, and when you learn about these lessons from marriage, about a, a man and a woman coming together, then the man and a woman coming together is something valuable, it's not something worthless, it's something rich. And then it has a purpose. And even the union of a man and a woman, the point of it is to make each of them more grateful to Allah. So the husband looks at the wife and is reminded of Allah also. And the wife looks at the husband and she's reminded of Allah also. So they become ayat for each other. Okay, he says that, and then he says the next statement. It's, it's building, right? Allah's, when he reveals these ayat, they are muhkam. Muhkam also means that they're stitched together. So when Allah tells us one thing, now our mind is in a certain place, it's ready for the next lesson. Just like a teacher does, right? The teacher tells you one lesson, when you get good, good at that, you think about it, that means they're ready to make the next point. And then the next point, they build on each other. So what's the next point that Allah makes? He says, Of His miraculous signs is the creation of the skies and the earth. We were just talking about husband and wife, and from there He took us straight to what? The skies and the earth. And that's a pretty powerful point of contemplation. The one who made my spouse is the same one who took the care to make the entire universe. Is the same one who designed the, the beauty of the entire landscape of the earth and the entire life inside of the ocean. Is the same one who provided me the oxygen that I'm breathing has provided me a spouse. It's coming from the same source. It's making me in awe of Allah for what He's given me. And making me maybe appreciate what you what I maybe didn't realize what I have in front of me when it comes to the spouse. Because it's not just a human being, it's a gift from Allah. But then this this is not the previous ayah, this is the next ayah building, and then he adds something more. By the way, why is the spousal 
relationship so important? Because it's the foundation of humanity. If a man and a woman can't be at peace together, that means the family can't be at peace together. If a family can't be at peace together, then there is disruption in the way children are, are raised. And when those children have disruption in the way that they're raised, they are not going to be a source of peace for their friends, or for their community, or for their society. And enough disruption, and you'll have an entire society made up of disruption. You can't have peace in the world because a man and a woman can't come together. You can, it can escalate to that point, because peace is ripple effect. It starts in the home and builds and builds and builds and builds and builds. You know? You know, there was an interesting there was a judge who retired after many years of service, maybe half a, half a century of service in Brooklyn, in New York, and he was asked, because he was a juvenile court judge, I mentioned him before, lots of kids, you know, he sees teenagers in, in gangs and drug violence and whatever else, and even killing and all of that kind of stuff, and he said, what to you, what to you is the source of all of this? The, what do you see as the problem? He says, broken homes. He says, broken homes is the problem. He, after 50 years of seeing the tragedy of humanity, of young lives wasted, he, lo he looks back and says, that's all I can tell you, right? So the point that I'm making here is, first the family. And then Allah says, contemplate that it's coming from Allah. But then he makes the most remarkable point about society. Actually, the khutbah today isn't about family, it's about society. He says, And the differences of your tongues and the colors of your skin. Of his, of his ayat, of the differences of your tongues and the colors of your skin. Now what in the world does that mean? That means Allah created the world and He meant it to have different languages. And a language isn't just a language. A language is an entire culture. It's not just a language. It's not just words that sound different and phonetics that sound different and grammar that's different from one language to another. But every language behind it is an entire heritage of how these words developed, how they were formed how they started getting used, how they became part of the poetry of a people, the philosophy of a people, the history of a people, the culture of a people. So when he says your tongues, he's saying of his miraculous signs are the very different cultures in the world. Not just the languages, but the cultures in the world. All of that comes behind the tongues, behind the, the, the language of the people. It's also interesting that the tongues are different, not just between different languages, like English is different from Spanish or something, but it's also that the, 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 the language of a people that live in a certain neighborhood is different from the, the same English, but in a certain neighborhood, it's a different lingo, and in a different neighborhood, it's a different lingo. Young people have their own language, older folks may have their own language, and they have their own mini culture, and each of them have their own way of communicating with each other. And Allah makes all of that part of His miraculous design, that you were supposed to have different cultures. You were supposed to have different ways of communicating. You were so, and within bounds, of course, within respectful bounds, but there were supposed to be these, these varieties in the world. But He didn't stop there. He said, وَأَلْوَانِكُمْ And the colors of your skin. Go back to what I said about ayah. I said three things about ayah. I said the ayah is, val is valuable. Then I said it's purposeful. And I said it takes you back to Allah. So every language that's different is valuable. One language is not worthless compared to another. They're all given by Allah. They're His ayat. They're not mine. They're not, they're not, they don't belong to a culture or a people. They actually go back and belong to Allah. And it, Allah has given that value or respect 
and dignity. Every language, every culture has respect and dignity inherent inside of it. And then second, it has a purpose. It's not pointless. It's not that one needs to be erased or removed and replaced with another. Because it, it has its own purpose. And each one of those languages, each one of those cultures, in one way or the other, if you point, reflect on it, will take you back to Allah. Will point you back to Allah. And now, if you wonder, and then that's about the languages, but then he says the same thing about colors of skin. Every color of skin is valuable to Allah. Is valuable to Allah. Every color of skin has a purpose. Every color of skin is a reminder of Allah Himself. It's a reminder of Allah Himself. The thing is, we are in the United States in the middle of a news cycle and in the middle of a social phenomenon and a crisis that is all surrounding race. And there's a lot of exclamation and commentary of all different kinds and people are waiting for others to say something and be inflamed by it and all of it. The, the, the thing that I wanted to, I don't have much to add to that conversation. All I can do is take a step back and ask myself a very hard question about ourselves, the Ummah ourselves, the Muslims. Because before we jump and say we support people that are being subjugated because of the color of their skin, before we say that the police doesn't have a right to murder someone in broad daylight just because, for, for whatever reason, including the color of their skin, if any of that is unjustifiable to us, and we want to speak out about it just like everybody else was speaking out about it, and you're right to speak out about it, then before we do that, we maybe should be taking a really good look in the mirror as an ummah that is made up of many colors, and many languages, and many cultures, and be able to honestly answer about ourselves that we don't look down on any color other than our own, any language other than our own, any culture other than our own, because then we have some moral footing on which we stand before we say, this is wrong. Because, before, because we have a backbone on which we stand. I was in uh, South Africa last year. And when I was in Cape Town, I was given a walk, some of the seniors of the Muslim community, some of whom are very dear to me, I, I, I love them dearly, and some of them are no longer with us now. May Allah grant them forgiveness. But I had the honor of meeting with some of these foremost senior members of the Muslim community who were part of the apartheid struggle. Who showed me neighborhoods they lived in where this side of the street all the black kids could be and that side of the street with all the white families and if the wall went on the other side, you'd never get it back. Because you'd get arrested. You know, and sometimes these kids would break the law and play with each other, but they'd have to stay on their own sides of the street. They've actually seen that life. They've lived that life. They've experienced that struggle. They, I, met, I met people, older members of the masjid, that had gunshot holes in them from the time that they stood up and stood for the rights of the, you know, of people. Not just themselves, by the way, for all of society. And these people have a credibility on which they stand. They, they did something so, so remarkable that left an impression on the entire earth. It, it really did. It left an impression on the entire earth. But when I think about the ummah, whether, wherever we are in the world, when we think about standing up against racism, and we blind ourselves to the fact that there is the ugliest kinds of racism inside the Muslim community. 
I started with the ayat of the Quran to maybe help myself and all of you realize that maybe we don't even, when we want to give people da'wah to this book and its beautiful teachings, maybe we should give ourselves a little da'wah at the same time. Maybe we should look at this and say, wait, but we do that. We've done some of this. Now we may not have killed someone, but humiliating someone is not very different from killing someone, is it? The Qur'an will place a high value on human dignity just like it does on human life. It puts a high value on both of them. And if we have exhibited, in, ironically, the closer people get to religion, this religion, Islam, the more they come closer to it, the more their, the loyalty they see, the honor they see of someone who just says they're a child of Adam. Adam. We honored all children of Adam. That's what Allah says. So the more, the closer you come to Allah's book, the more you start seeing people without the filter of color of skin. And by the way, I don't say you don't see color. As a matter of fact, you're supposed to see color because every color has purpose, every color has value. So I don't say, no, 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 when you become Muslim, you're colorblind. No, you become very color sensitive. And you honor each color for what it is. And you honor each language for what it is. And honor each culture for what it is. And you accept its unique identity as a gift from Allah Himself. So you don't say, oh, everybody's the same. No, everybody's beautifully different. That's Islam. Islam's not saying that you have to be colorblind. It's not saying you have to be color sensitive. And acknowledge it as a gift from Allah Himself. It's a very different take. That I don't see color. You know? But then beyond, it's far beyond that. When you, when you then start learning your religion and you start coming into the masjid, or you start becoming part of a, you know, a Muslim community, when you start becoming more and more closer to the community, then the more you are part of a community, the more accepting of differences you become. You're supposed to become, because obviously that's what this book teaches, and teaches in very clear terms. The, book, the same book is that, that's telling you to be in awe of the skies and the earth, is telling you to be in awe of different languages and colors of skin in the same ayah. Not even in a separate ayah. In the same ayah. So it's, to me, impossible to imagine that people that associate themselves with the houses of Allah, with the book of Allah, with the memorization of the Qur'an, with the perfecting of their tajweed, would ever think of anybody else who doesn't speak their language, or doesn't come from their background, or has a different color of skin than they do, that they would look down on it. It would be impossible. Right? Because that's not, we were... We're people of the Qur'an. Rasulullah lived in a very divisive time. The Arabs at the time were extremely divisive people. If you're from one tribe, you're better than all the other tribes. And if you're from tribe B, then you're better than the rest of the alphabet. If you're from tribe C, then you're the best one from the rest of the alphabet. And your loyalties belong to who? Your own tribe, always. When the Prophet went to Hudaybiyah, he had a Persian with him. He had Abyssinian slaves freed with him. He had people from various tribes with him. He had pe people, people that were previously Jewish with him, previously Christian with him. He had people from different clans, different backgrounds, big and small, Bedouins of all color and you know, size, all with him at Hudaybiyah, and they're, they're wanting to make Hajj. And you know, when they stopped at Hudaybiyah and different emissaries, different ambassadors came to try to negotiate with them to leave, to not go inside Mecca, the first of them that came looked around and saw all this diversity. 
And in his mind, for thousands of years, the only way you can unite people is by color. You can, the only way you can unite people is by tribe. That's the only way they can be united. Why would they stand next to each other and take an arrow for each other, take a sword for each other, if they're not even from the same family? They're not even from the same clan. Why would they do that? So he saw these people that are all, they look like a bus station to him. Like they're all different. And he came to the Prophet's life setup and he basically said, this is what you bring with you? None of them are from your people. When the fighting starts, they're all going to run away from you because they're not really yours. They're not really yours. And by the time, I won't tell you the entire story, but by the time that conversation ended and he went back, and the Quraysh were the most united of all, yeah? He went and told the leadership of Quraysh, don't mess with them. I would advise you to let them do what they want. What? You, went, you were our chief negotiator. What happened? You don't understand. When that man washes his face and drops fall from his face, they fight each other to catch the drops. I have never seen a kind of unity that I've seen among these people in loving their prophet. In whom they love. I've been in the courts of kings. I've never seen that kind of loyalty for a king that I've seen behind this man, sallallahu alayhi wa sallam. You know what that means? People who claim to love Rasulullah sallallahu alayhi wa sallam forget they develop a love for anyone next to them that says la ilaha illallah regardless of the color of their skin, regardless of the language they speak, regardless of the country they come from, regardless of when they took shahada, regardless of when they became Muslim. They, they, that disappears. That just completely disappears. Are we honestly able to say that about ourselves as an Allah? As a family? As a community? Because when you say on a, on, a, on a social media post, I stand with people. I stand with people that are oppressed. I stand with people that are being mistreated because of their race. Those words are just bites and you know pixels on a screen. That's all they are. But the way we are with people, the way we deal with people, the way we care for people, the way we honor people, that's not just a post on social media. That's not just a video broadcast. This, this is just hot air that will come and go. How is it that we're carrying ourselves? What example are we setting for, for ourselves and our children? What example are we setting? And finally, I want to say that you know, for, for those that are deeply hurt, and you, you have to, it's, the, the Prophet told us the Ummah is like a body, right? So when one part of it hurts, all of it hurts. And there are people that are hurting because of the kind of racism they've experienced. Muslim and not. Because this, is not, this isn't even about what religion you're from. This is about the color of your skin. Why you're being pulled over. Why you've got the wrong kind of car in the wrong neighborhood, etc. You know? And for, for any of you that are in that pain, that are experiencing that pain, that is not easy to empathize with, because you have to be in that humiliating situation to know what that feels like. To know what that, you know, what that looks like. You know, some of you may have experienced some of that discrimination, a glimpse of it because you're Muslim. Right, because I've had my share of it, you know, traveling in airports and stuff like that. I'm not the guy famous on YouTube or Facebook because I'm traveling. I'm a guy with a beard. Right, but that's just a small glimpse of what these people face their entire lives, what they go through in their neighborhoods, how they're looked at at a job interview, the way they can't, they can't ever, and what Allah has told us to look at as a miraculous, beautiful thing, others are looking at as a sign of inferiority or a sign of prejudgment before you even open your mouth. That's what they've experienced. That's what they've lived with. 
And for people like that, I would, for especially for the Muslims, I would urge you to contemplate, particularly contemplate Allah's exhaustive description of the oppression engaged by the Pharaoh of the Israelites. There's a reason that's been described in so much detail, a people that have been oppressed and repressed, not just by slavery. There were other tactics that the Pharaoh used that the Quran takes the point to describe. Why? Because Allah is not interested in teaching us about ancient Egypt and having us visit the Sphinx and the, the pyramids. That's not the interest of the Quran. The Quran's interest is to give us a case study of the kind of evil that happened thousands of years ago that will take a different form in every generation. There will be a new kind of Fir'aun in every generation. And it will take from the same old Fir'aun's playbook and will do with people who deserve better the same game that were done before. And so the Qur'an is acknowledging that and the Qur'an is a source of being empowered for those that are at, on, the, you know, on the receiving end of such you know, kinds of oppression. And before we, you know, uh, I'm, people want me to comment on all kinds of things. The, the thing that I want to comment on is what Allah has to say about this subject and really how we should be thinking about ourselves before we think about any, anybody else. You, can't, you and I can't stand there and talk about commanding the good and forbidding the evil. If we haven't, you, you can't tell anybody else to wear clean clothes when you're wearing dirty clothes yourself. You gotta look a little bit inside and say, hey, but this doesn't look that, I mean, who am I to talk about that? When I haven't even dealt with what's going on inside my, the racism inside my own family. The race, the biases inside of my own neighborhood. In my own community. Among people that are supposed to know better, because they're supposedly religious. They're supposed to know better. And yet they exhibit that kind of, you know, condescending opinion of others. Indignation of others. So I pray Allah helps us realize and open our eyes to where we stand. And really take a better look at ourselves Given this chaos that's outside, the Ummah was supposed to stand out as an example of people that honor all races and all colors. It would, it would, the Islam would speak volumes without any of you having said a word. It would just speak volumes because we would stand out from the rest of humanity because of we live these ayat. That you don't have to have da'wah about misconceptions of Islam. You are the proper conception of Islam in the way you live. You just stick out anyway. Because around you, all, all around you is just darkness. You know? That would be the truth by itself. I'll leave you with just one example of how this is the biggest, most, us living the right way is the biggest invitation to Islam. It's the biggest invitation to Islam. I met a young fellow who, uh, in, in, uh, this is many years ago when I was in college, I, I used to go to uh, uh, Masjid Taqwa in Brooklyn, Imam Salah Bahadur Masjid. And I used to wait for him because I wanted him to come to, our, come to our college to give a lecture. So this was from before I could grow a beard. I should just, I should just get there, go her time, ask her time, and wait until Maghrib Misha until he shows up. Because I know he's coming eventually. To get a chance to talk to him. So I'm in the masjid alone, and this young fellow walks in, maybe a couple of years younger than me. I must have been 19, 20 at the time, he must have been 18. Walks in and sits down. And we just start talking. And he was someone, he's, uh, you know, uh, uh, born in downtown New York white kid who was just became interested in religion when he was 15 and he was raised agnostic his parents neither of them believe in any religion so he said well my grandparents are pretty hardcore christian maybe i should start with christianity so he actually became christian attended different churches studied the bible got you know pretty deep in his bible studies and realized that there's a lot going on in the old testament the older book 
that was given to Moses. But we don't talk about that enough. We keep harping on this other side. We don't pay attention enough to the Old Testament. So he decides that maybe the right religion is the people that follow the Old Testament. He decides to become Jewish. Learns Hebrew. Learns Hebrew. Starts, goes, joins a, a Mishnah and a Yeshiva Institute. Starts studying the Torah and he's studying, studying, studying and people are making fun of him because he's different from them. Because you're not supposed, you're ethnically, you're, he's not Jewish, right? So you're not really, you're not that Jewish. You're just, but you're, you can't be fully Jewish. Not really. And he's, he literally describes when he, first time he came to Masjid Taqwa, just to see what the Muslims are like. Just to see. And when he saw the colors, he literally talked about the colors that were sitting there. Masjid Taqwa is a remarkable example of that. The diversity is incredible. And the brotherhood was just a thing of, you're, you're just in awe of the kind of brotherhood you would see in that neighborhood. He said, I didn't speak to anybody about Islam, but I accepted Islam. And he now he, he's already accepted Islam because of what he saw, and now he wants to come and learn more about it. That's why he came to the masjid. Nobody gave him that one. It was just something he saw. But can you imagine when someone comes to one of our masajids when, after this whole COVID-19 fitna is over, and they see somebody being talked down to or, or ignored because of the color of their skin, because they look different than everybody else. And they come one time and they say, I'm never going back there again. I don't feel like I'm wanted there. You know how many people I've talked to that have taken shahada, that have become Muslim, and their love of Islam made them go to the masjid. And when they went to the masjid, they felt so rejected and pushed away that they feel bad going to the masjid because people that are different from them, they'd rather talk, talk in their own language and not include them in the conversation or talk down to them, or look at them up and down funny. All the, all the manners that the Prophet ﷺ taught us not to do, we exhibit inside the masjid, and we exhibit it to those that are the best of us, because they've taken the shahada and the light wiped the previous sins. We exhibit that to them. And then we say that we believe in Islam, and the Prophet ﷺ said that no one, the white is not better than the red or black or whoever else. The best ones are the ones that have taqwa. We can give that khutbah, we can give that message. Well, how is that being lived? Let's live it. Let's annihilate any trace of violating these ayat from ourselves, our families, and our communities. Not stand for it. Not tolerate it. May Allah Azza wa Jalla make us truly loyal to, the, to His word and to honor all children of Adam and become an example of those who honor all children of Adam. Barakallahu li wa lakum fil Quran al-Hakim wa nafa'ni wa iyaakum bil ayat wa dhikr al-Hakim. الحمد لله وكفى والصلاة والسلام على عباده الذين استقاموا خصوصا على أفضلهم وخاتم المؤمنين محمد بن أمين وعلى آله وصحبه أجمعين قال الله عز وجل في كتابه الكريم بعد أن قيل أعوذ بالله من الشيطان الرجيم إن الله وملائكته يصلون على النبي يا أيها الذين آمنوا صلوا عليه وسلموا تسليما اللهم صل على محمد وعلى آل محمد كما صليت على إبراهيم وعلى آل إبراهيم في العالمين إنك حميد مجيد اللهم بارك على محمد وعلى آل محمد كما باركت على إبراهيم وعلى آل إبراهيم في العالمين إنك حميد مجيد عباد الله رحمكم الله اتقوا الله إن الله يأمر بالعدل والإحسان وإنتاء ذي القربى وينهى عن الفحشاء والمنكر وذكر الله الأكبر والله يعلم ما تصنعون أقم الصلاة ثم الصلاة كانت على المؤمنين كتابا مرسولا. Shalom Muhammad Rasulullah, Haila Salatu, Haila Fala, Kodakama to Salatu, the Kama Salah, Allah, Akbar Allah, Akbar, Ilaha, Allah.
الصراط المستقيم صراط الذين أنعمت عليهم غير المغضوب عليهم ولا
السلام عليكم ورحمة الله السلام عليكم ورحمة الله